eyebrows and a long mouth painted glossy red. Accustomed to judging her own mother prettier than every woman she encountered, Anna was disarmed by the evident glamour of Mrs. Stiles. I was hoping to meet Mrs. Kerrigan, Mrs. Stiles said in a husky voice, holding Anna's father's hand in both of hers, to which he replied that his younger daughter had taken sick that morning, and his wife had stayed at home to nurse her. There was no sign of Mr. Stiles. Politely, but, she hoped, without visible awe, Anna accepted a glass of lemonade from a silver tray carried by a Negro maid in a pale blue uniform. In the high polish of the entrance hall's wood floor, she caught the reflection of her own red dress sewn by her mother. Beyond the windows of an adjacent front room, the sea tingled under a thin winter sun. Mr. Stiles' daughter, Tabitha, was only eight, three years younger than Anna. Still, Anna allowed the little girl to tow her by the hand to a downstairs nursery, a room dedicated purely to playing, filled with a shocking array of toys. A quick survey discovered a flossy flirt doll, several large teddy bears, and a rocking horse. There was a nurse in the nursery, a freckled, raspy-voiced woman whose woolen dress strained like an overstacked bookshelf to repress her massive bust. Anna guessed from the broad lay of her face and the merry switch of her eyes that nurse was Irish, and felt a danger of being seen through. She resolved to keep her distance. Two small boys, twins, or at least interchangeable, were struggling to attach electric train tracks Partly to avoid Nurse, who rebuffed the boy's pleas for help, Anna crouched beside the disjointed tracks and proffered her services. She could feel the logic of mechanical parts in her fingertips. This came so naturally that she could only think that other people didn't really try. They always looked, which was as useless when assembling things as studying a picture by touching it. Anna fastened the piece that was vexing the boys and took several more from the freshly opened box. It was a Lionel train, the quality of the tracks palpable in the resolve with which they interlocked. As she worked, Anna glanced occasionally at the flossy flirt doll, wedged at the end of a shelf. She had wanted one so violently two years ago that some of her desperation seemed to have broken off and stayed inside her. It was strange and painful to discover that old longing now, in this place. Tabitha cradled her new Christmas doll, a Shirley Temple in a fox fur coat. She watched, entranced, as Anna built her brother's train tracks. Where do you live? she asked. Not far. By the beach? Near it? May I come to your house? Of course, Anna said, fastening tracks as fast as the boys handed them to her. A figure eight was nearly complete. Have you any brothers? Tabitha asked. A sister, Anna said. She's eight, like you, but she's mean, because of being so pretty. Tabitha looked alarmed. How pretty? Extremely pretty, Anna said gravely, then added. She looks like our mother, who danced with the Follies. The error of this boast accosted her a moment later. Never part with a fact, unless you've no choice her father's voice in her ears.
Lunch was served by the same Negro maid at a table in the playroom. They sat like adults on their small chairs, cloth napkins in their laps. Anna glanced several times at the flossy flirt, searching for some pretext to hold the doll without admitting she was interested. If she could just feel it in her arms, she would be satisfied. After lunch, as a reward for their fine behavior, nurse allowed them to bundle into coats and hats and bolt from a back door along a path that ran behind Mr. Stiles' house to a private beach. A long arc of snow-dusted sand tilted down to the sea. Anna had been to the docks in winter many times, but never to a beach. Miniature waves shrugged up under skins of ice that crackled when she stomped them. Seagulls screamed and dove in the riotous wind, their bellies stark white.